Well, hey, my name is Zach, and welcome to the Black Bar Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Caleb and Nick. What's up, guys? Hey, Hello. Zach. <laughs> How's it going, How are we doing Zach? today, everyone? Doing good. Incredible. Doing great. <laughs> the way you said that, it sounded like the uh, the thing that people say when they're at terrible jobs is like, another day in paradise. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we don't care how you're yeah. doing. We're going to just roll right in the next okay, thing. Okay, <laughs> fine. Thanks. Appreciate it. Really so on today's podcast, we have a guest named Todd Bolsinger. Uh, he is a blogger, author, consultant, and executive leadership coach uh, with an MDiv. So needless to say, he brings a lot more uh, solid theology to our podcast than you normally hear. <laughs> <laughs> Less heresy this Just time. nonsense heresy that's usually <laughs> thrown around, for sure. So we get to talk to him about leadership, navigating uncertainty, and the intersection of theology and technology. So it was just a really exciting conversation that we hope that you all enjoy it as much as we do. Uh, but before we get into the conversation, we have something a little bit different. Uh, Caleb, what are you bringing us today? Well, you know, I think I've always wanted to say this out loud, but uh, today's episode of the Black Bar Podcast... As a sponsor, Whoa. pretty pretty incredible. <laughs> uh, um, hopefully, we'll you know we're working on uh, working with a couple other companies to have more sponsors in the future. We're excited about that. But today, this episode of the Black Bar Podcast is brought to you by LiveVoice.io. Let's go, uh, which you can find at LiveVoice.io <laughs> uh, is a service that allows churches or companies or whoever to super 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 easily stream audio online on just about whatever device you would want. Uh, so generally how it works, for example, someone who might speak a different language than your pastor or whatever, you set them up with the app on their phone or their computer and they would record that audio into it and it would live stream that out to anybody else with the app installed, with your church's service or whatever pulled up on their phone and they'd be able to hear that audio live as it stream across the internet or even even in your own building. Very cool, very cool. So I think you could probably clearly see how this could add value to your services. I mean, the multilingual service alone is incredible. As long as you provide the translator, they provide the service. Any service that you have, you'd be able to stream, you know, and use it in person or online. If you just want to also just stream your audio from your service, this works that way too. I think for me personally, one of the things that's really interesting to me is that you don't really need any special hardware uh, to make it happen. If you want, you can set up a translator in a room with their phone and they could they could record that audio straight into their phone and they don't need anything special to do that, right? Uh, in addition, the people listening to the audio could use whatever device that they have on them to, to hear that audio on that end. I think it's also worth noting, especially for the people in the house uh, that in general on average there's only a 0.2 second delay so that you can make sure that your translator's audio is getting to your audience as quickly as possible in addition uh, if you're in a situation where you have maybe not the best wi-fi in the world or if you're connected to a, a cellular network it only takes on average about 0.007 megabits per second to hear a live stream uh, over livevoice.io which doing the math a little bit uh, roughly translates to about three megabytes for an entire hour sermon, which I, I don't know many pastors who are going to stick to an hour these days for the most sure. part. But you can do the math out from there. About three megabytes per hour. That's that's not bad. That's absolutely data affordable. 
and you're probably thinking something like this might be a, a pretty expensive service, but it actually is super affordable. And one of the best features about it that, that I've seen is that it scales with your user count. So if you have a church that's only maybe 70 people, or if you have a church of 7,000, they have pricing uh, plans for either one and everything in between. And the awesome thing is that for all of our listeners, you all can have 10% off your first three months if you sign up with the code BLACKBAR. That's B-L-K-B-A-R. So go to livevoice.io, make sure you include that in your signup process. Check out all the offerings they have to provide. Johannes and his team are super awesome. They have a great customer service experience. So definitely connect with them if this sounds like something that would be great for your community. So gentlemen, with that being said, as uh, everyone, I'd imagine we're all pulling up our uh, computers and uh, smartphones to look up live voice. While we're doing that, let's go ahead and hop into our conversation with Todd Bolsinger. Todd, thank you for joining us. Very kind of you. Glad to be with you. I know multiple times uh, on our podcast before, I think even in some of our YouTube videos that we've put out, we have directly referenced your book, uh, Canoeing the Mountains. Uh, I know for Caleb and I, Caleb and I attend the same church and our lead pastor, uh, Pastor Sam Reif Kogel, read your book and, and essentially took a lot of your ideas that you presented and presented it to the staff. And uh, it, all, all of this happened just before 2020 and the pandemic hit. So it was such a, a amazing timing. It, it was definitely a, a God thing. Mm. Uh, let me hear from you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your background and kind of what got you to where you are today? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Um, I'm always very touched to hear that folks are using my book, especially on staff teams, because that's kind of where I lived. Um, 27 years, I was, a, I was a pastor. 10 years, I was on the staff at Hollywood Presbyterian. And then I went and spent 17 years as the lead pastor at San Clemente Presbyterian. Uh, both of them are in California. And um, raised my kids and lived there and enjoyed being the pastor of a parish, you know, being a local pastor, just it was the adult, God gave me the desires of my heart. Um, along the way, I'd done a PhD um, at Fuller as well as my MDiv and um, had worked on uh, basically spiritual formation, uh, spiritual theology, and ended up doing some consulting because I was working with groups of folks who were trying to lead change. Um, I had a coach work with me and I ended up being a person who was doing some organizational change pieces. And it really basically morphed into my doing more work with people on trying to lead change. And so it went back to Fuller Seminary uh, in 2014 as a vice president to help them go through a process of doing some change in the seminary. And I've been kind of doing it ever since. Wow. Uh, as we alluded to, you're also an author. I know you got a, a couple books out there. Um, I have five books. The last three have all been leadership books. Uh, Canoeing the Mountains was really about the the book that I took on. It was a long process of, of kind of documenting what I was learning about how to lead change when you're in uh, uncharted territory, when you don't have expert answers. And then I wrote a book called Leadership in a Time of Pandemic, which was an ebook that came out in the beginning of the pandemic to kind of apply the lessons of, of Canoeing the Mountains to the pandemic, and then most recently, a book called Tempered Resilience, which is about the way uh, leaders are formed while they're leading change. 
So Wow. What a uh, relevant kind of topic to specialize on change, because last year was the epitome of change. <laughs> and I think even the interesting thing about mm-hmm. 2021 is we've seen kind of this overspill of all the change. And it's so funny seeing people's reactions to it. Some people are embracing it. Some people just want to go back to the way it was. And it's such an interesting balance that I'm sure that you've had to talk to a lot of people through. Yeah. Indeed, it's really, it's really it's really where I spend my time these days. So I I lead what's called the Church Leadership Institute at Fuller Seminary, and I have my own um, consulting and speaking company called AE Sloan Leadership. And in both my speaking and consulting, and in my research and my teaching, um, it's all about how do you lead people in a time that is almost unprecedented, right? And somebody said, we're in, um, we're in 1918, 1929, and 1968, all mm. at the same time. Wow, <laughs> We've sure. got a yeah. health crisis, an economic crisis, crisis of about social injustice and political division. And almost nobody, I mean, there's nobody alive who's actually ever had to lead a church particularly or right. you know, faith organizations through a time like that. And so we need to learn to lead differently. And that's, that's really what I'm trying to work on with people. Sure. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. So clearly leadership, massively important. I think we can all agree on that. And then also as we focus on kind of faith and the application of media in, in the faith, theology is, is an important foundation. Um, so you kind of sit in this spot where there's a big intersection between the two. Um, what to you is kind of the value in balancing those? Uh, you know, how much do they play into each other, especially whenever you're in kind of a coaching, coaching situation with other leaders in the field? Yeah. So if you think about this, you know, theology is ultimately the way we talk about God. And we believe, I believe as a Christian, that God is a God who not only created the world, but is busy redeeming and sustaining God's own creation. And so so since God is at work in transforming creation, we can ask the question, what is our participation in that? And leadership uh, is the way I I define leadership as energizing a community of people toward their own transformation so they can participate in a mission. And as Christians, that's energizing them toward their spiritual transformation so they can participate in God's mission in the world. And so since it's about transformation and mission, uh, it'd be really important to be clear on what we are being transformed in or like to, to which degree we are being transformed, like toward whom, toward God. And for what purposes, God's purposes in the world. So for me, I I live right in that intersection. I was a practical theologian um, before I was a leadership professor. And now what I really do is do the practical theology of leadership, which is really around the formation of people to be able to participate in what God is doing. That's that's awesome. (laughs) That's a great way to talk. I mean, obviously there's connections between uh, theology and our faith and ways, ways to lead and, and being able to communicate how like proper ways to lead through that lens, especially for pastors, especially for churches, which you said that's the majority of, of who you're talking to, who who you're speaking to. And like Zach was talking about earlier, this past year has probably been uh, uh, a, a period of transition for nearly every church on the planet in a lot of ways. What we've seen, what we were surprised, even when BlackBerry was getting off the ground, of the global nature of of just everywhere was trying to figure out how to handle this transition, either towards online, through digital ministry, through uh, you know distance ministry, anything like that. And now we're we're kind of some churches are moving back to what they were. Some churches are. Trying to find hybrids, some some churches are viewing it as an opportunity to reach in a new place. Uh, but all of them, no matter what, are going through transition. They're going through change, and that's something that you specialize in. 
happen. So I wonder if you had to, if you managed to have like two minutes in front of every church leader, pastor, church mini director, ministry director, anything like that, and you had to give them guidance on how to make this transition properly, whatever that transition is, what would you say to them? Well, it's actually what, what I spend my life doing, actually, is um, yeah, I spend sure. my time talking to leaders who are trying to navigate that. And what's interesting is you're, you talked about the global nature. So here's one thing that is really interesting. My last week, in the last week, I've spoken to Methodists, Baptists, Adventists, and a group of Roman Catholic wow. missionaries working Jeez. in Appalachia. Wow. Um, wow. wow. I, I speak to people who do not speak to each other. Um, because they, because what we are all experiencing is this completely disrupted world that is making yeah. us ask the question about how we live faithfully in it. So what right. I would say is the most important thing to recognize is that the great temptation that goes all the way back to Exodus is that people want the familiar. Sure. Um, they long for the familiar. Mm-hmm. And that transformation usually requires us to move into the unfamiliar, into uncharted territory. So if you think about it this way, you know, the root word for family and familiar is the same root word. Hmm. And so when people are in an unfamiliar place, they don't just feel disoriented. They feel unfamilied. They feel like abandoned. They feel you know, orphaned. So the great anxiety producing temptation is to want to go back. Sure. And it's always wanting to get back. And you see this even in the Exodus, right? So right after the Red Sea, like the greatest miracle anybody would see until the resurrection of Jesus, they go, oh my gosh, we're camping. I didn't realize that we were going to be camping. Oh my gosh, the food isn't what we thought it would be. Yeah. I know they right. killed our children, but at least we had leeks and onions for lunch. Let's go back. Sure. Sure. Right? And so you recognize, what I'd say to almost all leaders is notice that the overwhelming uh, pull is to go back to the familiar and the invitation of God and the requirement of leaders is to take people into the transformation that will happen as they step into the unfamiliar and have to learn to trust God and to be transformed. Wow, this is great stuff already. I, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, just kind of yeah, processing. Yeah. Like, you, usually I don't think we're like uh, this not talkative. Like I'm just processing. Oh, man. So. For us at Black Bar, a lot of things that we focus on are specifically church media. Mm-hmm. You know, at the beginning of 2020 uh, was, was right when we started, and I think we helped serve a purpose uh, of helping people learn to get their church online. Mm-hmm. And during that time, I felt like, you know, we, we all three of us had different ideas of what was going to happen in the next decade or the next five years. I know I myself kind of thought that perhaps we we'd see this almost renaissance of how the church is now embracing online ministry and for me personally i think i learned very quickly that um that's not gonna be the case i think i think what we're seeing is something that uh something that you said in your book uh canoeing the mountains uh about disappointing people at a rate that they can digest. And I'm probably butchering that quote right now. Um, it's a good thing the I author isn't here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's, not, it's not my quote. I quoted somebody else. It's disappointing, oh. disappointing people at a rate they can absorb. It's Ronald Heifetz out of Harvard. Okay. Disappointing people right. at a rate That's they can absorb. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, but I think what happened was we had a lot of pastors who did embrace mm-hmm. online ministry in some capacity, didn't quite see the return. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so now we see a lot of pastors who are hanging up the digital ministry. Yeah. Um, all that to kind of paint this picture of 
you know, what might we see in the next five years now that we've kind of embraced and then backed away, you know, what will be the challenge for leadership in ministry uh, as the church, the, the capital C church begins to navigate the, the future? Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a couple of different ways, Nick, that we could talk about that. So hmm. let me just tee up two of them and you pick whichever theme you want. Sure. Um, one theme is I actually do think there's an opportunity in technology that we are um, resisting because how unprepared we feel. None of us got into ministry because we wanted to have an online presence. We got into ministry because we love God. We love people. We want to introduce the people we love to the God we love. And we mostly want to do it in the way that we met God, which was probably face-to-face with a group of people around the scriptures. Right. So, you know, if we can do it that way, we want to do it that way. The problem, however, is that we tend to make that into the only way. That's that. I mean, Jesus talked about that. That's like, that's the wineskin, right? Right. So I often ask this question what if there was, don't you just wish there was a biblical example of people being formed deeply in the likeness of Jesus over distance with technology? Wouldn't it be great if we could just find an example of that in the Bible? Like, the New Testament. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like the New Testament are letters of Paul who was, okay, let's call it sheltered in place while he was in a prison, writing <laughs> yep, yep, sure. letters that were then carried by a trusted person to a church, local church community where they heard Paul's words and then they had to then there embody that in that location. So when you start thinking about digital ministry as actually locally contextualized, right? taking the ministry distributed into homes, into backyards, into families, into communities, you start realizing that we're not talking about broadcasting. We're talking about doing deep incarnation that is distributed. Right. And what's interesting about this is, you know, one of the leading futurists, uh, a guy, I mean, there's a group of folks out of Palo Alto who literally try to come up with the trends of the future. They said in 2017, in the next 10 years, everything that can be distributed will be distributed. So if you start thinking about that notion, that's different than broadcast, right? I think of it as how do we take the things that are most important to us and make them available in places where people wouldn't otherwise have it? Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I use this example because this happened to me last weekend. Um, I lost the little connector from my computer to the cord. I was speaking someplace and lost it. So I walked into a kind of a famous electronics store to find that connector and they didn't have it. And I couldn't even get a clerk to help me with it because they were so busy. I went on my phone, found it on Amazon and ordered it <laughs> while I was standing there. And it was delivered to <laughs> my daughter's house and not even to my own house, to my daughter's <laughs> house where I was staying. Mm-hmm, so the wow. fact that I could order the part that I so needed and it could be delivered in 24 hours disrupted the very store I was standing totally. in. They didn't get my 12 bucks. Right. <laughs> right. I would have paid, yeah. I would have paid yeah. 25 to have it in my hot little land. Right. Yeah. And you start realizing that that convenience and that experience is going to mm. become the experience that what everybody expects. Right. And that's going to require us to rethink our assumptions about what people just know to be true. Sure. And it's that notion of thinking about technology as accelerating. Uh, Kevin Kelly, who's kind of famous about these things, says technology accelerates biology. So whatever our human needs are, we think of technology, whether that's a fire or a wheel or a pencil or 
a computer or Zoom. We think of technology based upon how it actually helps us live as creature people. And what the church needs to figure out is how to actually be human and empathic about the way in which we think about technology. So it's one of the challenges. It's, it, it's, to me, it's a deeply, profoundly theological challenge. When you have a number of people who are shut in and feel disconnected from a community, and you can actually now have technology to care for them. Why wouldn't you? Right. Right. So, That's so this isn't to me about broadcasting, marketing, being big, being famous. It's really about how local we can make things, mm-hmm. right? How Paul could write a letter to Corinthians to try to help them address their deepest challenges by sending that letter with a trusted person. To me, that is a good example of what I would call hybrid ministry. And I think the future is going to be hybrid. So Sure. I, so I think to, to kind of go with that, what, uh, the, what we've seen is people, even the churches that have embraced digital ministry, uh, digital forms of ministry to some extent, what we often find what they're talking about is usually having the church service that they've always had and putting a camera in the back of the room. Right. And that is their idea of what a digital ministry is. And I think all of us can agree that is not a full extent. That is not what is what could be possible when we talk about digital ministry, when we talk about making a, like a local contextualized focus yeah. of, of communicating the gospel to to those groups of people to online, to the people we can only reach online. I'm curious for, to the churches who are in that so, sort of spot who are. Uh, like their idea of of digital ministry is doing what we've always done, but putting it online. Mm-hmm. How how would you talk to them about like taking that next step and taking full advantage of the digital yeah. tools that we have? Well, what I'd say is that, of course, is the worst kind of digital ministry. And it's what we all experienced last year. It's right. try to take a regular classroom and just put it on a Zoom call and do that for six hours. That's the worst thing you could do. But like for here's an example. Um, when I speak to a group of folks, sometimes I will speak to groups that are 500. That means the only thing I can do with 500 people is I can only speak at them. You put me with 500 people on a Zoom call, I can let every single one of them chat in a response. Sure. Absolutely. Right. So there's a different so thinking about using technology for for the purpose you want to accomplish. Right. Right. So I, so you know, Zoom dinners were of making up for the fact that we couldn't be with each other. They're not yeah. our perfect example. But a Zoom conversation or for a me- meeting that other otherwise you wouldn't be able to have people out like be and I think of how many churches have older people who don't want to drive at night totally mm-hmm. who then feel as if they get they get alienated from the community now you can actually have a technology that can make sure that they get a voice and they get a say so it's having to rethink the use of technology wisely rather than trying to make technology something that just scales what we do um, which we would do ordinarily. It's it's rethinking the whole experience. Of it. Yeah. So that's kind of like a broad like overlook of ministry in general. And of course, we we hype we we try to contextualize most of our conversations in context for people in the ministry uh, that that uses media as the form of their ministry. Um, and oftentimes, as is most of the case, most of the people in our communities aren't in a position of leadership. We do have some uh, lead pastors who are you know, leading that or somehow running slides while they're leading or something along those lines. But in most cases, 
media people aren't the leaders. They aren't the executives. Um, so, of course, every single person from top to bottom in the church, in the, well, really not just church, but in, in any ministry or company in general, everyone felt 2020. And of course, you're specifically dealing with those that are kind of in the highest level of leadership. But for those that are in media, they're still leading, whether that's themselves or the teams under them. Do you have any advice for those people that are using this uh, advancement of technology and devices uh, that are still trying to lead and listen to their leaders as everyone's trying to navigate it. Do you have any t- tips specifically for the media leaders? So I would say two things. One is, um, so um, leadership, especially leadership in an uncertain place, in a in a place where there are no experts, let's just put it that way. Like, like if you're trying to actually lead change, where there, we don't we don't know what the map is going to be. We just don't know what's around the next corner. What's needed is that you are a highly trustworthy person. Uh, trust is necessary for transformation. So wherever you are in the org chart, you want to be a person who is highly trusted. And one of the ways you're trusted is by being technically competent. So you know when I work as a you know I'm a 57 year old guy so I'm not great at media I didn't have my first <laughs> computer until I was at graduate school right mm-hmm, sure so when so when I have younger staff members who are really savvy about technology what I need them to do is be be competent and also be caring and empathic about the fact that this is not my first language mm-hmm. so my my answer to that is. You've got a, uh, just like any other, anybody who's ever been in any kind of leadership role, you've got a 360 approach. You have to lead your peers. You lead the people that are below you, you know, the people who follow you. You have to also give leadership to your peers and you also have to lead up. Right. And leading up is about a kind of relationship and being a resource to the person who is above you in the org chart in a way that you serve them and you, you contribute to the overall mission in such a way that the people who are above you say you're you're trustworthy and we need you to be part of the team. Sure. Um, it, yeah. To use to use a canoeing the mountains language, <laughs> um, you know that's the story of Lewis and Clark who go off the map. They're looking for a water route. They find the Rocky Mountains. Everybody on the trip is an expert canoeer, and they're basically told they're going to have to drop their canoes, and they're all lost. And everybody's lost except one person. She was a teenage Native American nursing mother. And at that moment, they all had to learn to listen to her because this was not uncharted territory for her. She was familiar with this. This was her territory. Sacagawea is her name. Um, We learned it as Sacagawea, but her name was written down as Sacagawea. So I think that's her name. We should give it back to her. I think in many ways, the person who is lower in the org chart, the person who's more marginalized, the person who's a woman, a person of color, younger, they're the Sacagaweas. And what they have to do is demonstrate, hey, I'm comfortable in this territory and I will be part of the organization. I'll be part of the team that wants to accomplish our mission. And how we say this, you know, Sacagawea had an opportunity to leave them because they she had a chance to be with her own family and she stayed in the mission. And because she stayed in the mission, they were successful finding the Pacific um, Ocean. And and they also treated the First Nations people better than anybody who would come after them. Yeah. And um, it's almost from there, it's almost a terrible downhill story. But that, yeah. was, a shi- <laughs> right. that was a shining sure. moment. Sure. Right. So uh, I think that for some people, they might not have even heard that 
phrase of leading up. If you don't mind us like just looking at that a little bit, certainly you've already mentioned uh, having a high uh, emotional intelligence is super valuable in that space when you're not necessarily in upper management, but you're not necessarily in lower either. What does respectfully leading up look like? Because I imagine if you're not careful, you could get too confident or you could step on some toes. You could say the wrong thing. Do you have any just tips for someone who's for the first time hearing leading up is a valuable thing that can be done from a place of humility? Yeah. So leading up means um, I understand that my ultimate value to this church, this organization is the mission. I'm here to serve the mission. And my job is to help my boss be the most successful person at leading the mission. Like, like it's literally, I'm part of a team and I'm going to help the team do well. I'm going to be part of the mission and the mission is bigger than any individual. So, so by the way, just if you ever work for someone who demands loyalty of you, personal loyalty, that's a sign that this is a dysfunctional system Hmm. because the best leaders don't need loyalty, but the best leaders ask for commitment and alignment. Hmm. We are committed to this mission together. And what they're asking you to do is be good, honest, caring people. A personal loyalty is usually a sign of dysfunction in a system Hmm. when you're asking for that. So leading up is your way of saying, I mean, this is the place where, you know, we have the example in scripture, speaking the truth in love, we grow up into all things. And what I think every really strong leader says is, I need you to speak the truth. Um, In the words of Patrick Lencioni, you need to disagree and commit. Hmm. Um, That same concept, disagreeing and committing is also, you know, in companies like Jeff Bezos use that in Amazon, right? Like we need you to be candid. We need you to be caring and we need you to commit to the thing that's bigger than any individual. And we're all going to give ourselves to it. So, so leading up is participating for the good of the organization and including if you need to, to help, help your boss, who's not very good at technology or who's got biases or who doesn't understand. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I think going right along with what you're talking about with leading up and everything, I, I know it's not necessarily a new thing for for church media people, uh, but it was a a a thing that we saw on a level, at least a, a frequency that the three of us hadn't seen after COVID. Uh, quite a few churches who had live streams in which these these media people felt like that they were living in their calling in a lot of ways that they had a significant part to play all of a sudden those are getting pulled down everything's getting shut off turned down and we have a, a lot of 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 media people to, to use canoeing the mountains language who feel like they are currently in the canoe with their pastors moving through the mountains when they feel like they might have had a better option or their pastors wasn't listening to them or they are currently on a ship that they tried to turn and it didn't work it didn't happen some of them are leaving their churches some of them are cynically moving forward right and this isn't a new problem like i said uh, church media this is tales old as time and well outside the media world as well right but for the the person who's currently you know they might see themselves as the bottom of the totem pole who lost out on this one uh what would you say to those people we'd say that you're not alone because this is actually how systems change sure so one of the most i mean i have to tell you that the The reason I wrote my most recent book, which is a book called Tempered Resilience, is because every single place that I went for five years. So, so, so Canoeing the Mountains came out in 2015. Mm -hmm. So, so long before the pandemic, it wasn't even, I never even heard of the idea of a pandemic. It was really about 
the move from a Christendom to a post-Christendom world where Christianity needed to be willing to lose some of its trappings of culture to be more faithful in our mission. Hmm. And so what happened is in every one of these settings, I would go talk to people and they would come out and they would always want to talk about the chapter in the book on sabotage. Hmm. Because what Ed Friedman, who's one of the thinkers behind in the book that I refer to in the book, talks about is the only way, the way change happens is that you make a change and then you experience sabotage. And then you work through the sabotage, and that's when you know you've been successful. Gotcha. Sabotage happens 100% of the time. So the fact that, say, media ministry all got, everybody got excited. I mean, like, I remember March 15th, 2020, every church I work with across the country all all of a sudden had a media ministry, right? We were all shut down. (laughs) And what everybody was doing was trying to go, we're just going to put this thing on Facebook Live so we can survive. We just want to make it to Easter. We just want to get back to normal. They didn't think of it as, oh, we have an opportunity to learn something here. And we don't even know what we're learning. So experimenting is about learning. And one of the ways you get through the sabotage is becoming is helping a people learn through the struggle, learn their way forward, learn, face losses, stay faithful to your overall vision. And if our vision is to create, you know, a really faithful community that lives, that lives Christ, uh, then we just ask, well, what can we learn if we're in a season where we're using media? How do we use media for that? Not, you, you, I say, when I consult, I say, don't ask the question, did it work? Keep asking questions, what do we learn? And then try the next one. And what do we learn? And what do we learn? What do we learn? And you learn your way forward. I love that. But sabotage is part of it. Like, like don't give up. Mm-hmm. It's part of the learning. Right, right. Well, it's interesting because sabotage sounds like such a negative connotation word, right? Yeah. Well, so I would tell people sabotage is not the bad things evil people do. Sabotage is the human things that anxious people do. Hmm. Sure. When we're anxious, we just want to go back. And so if you realize this is, these people aren't being mean and they're not being stubborn and they're not being dumb. They're anxious. They're grieving. They're afraid that we're never going to get to hug people again sure they're afraid that we're gonna they were afraid that we're never gonna be a tight-knit community they're they're afraid that we're never gonna have meals or lay hands on each other or care for each other they're afraid and so to say look we understand that we are going to work as hard as we can on figuring out how our technology can foster more of that like that's what we're going to work on nobody's going to use technology to replace the things that are critical to us totally human contact Mm -hmm. deep friendship but you know you guys are a good example you're old friends who stayed connected over the miles because of technology and a common mission right Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. much more common um it's going to be something that we're going to learn as we go and to be honest i don't think we completely even understand what that learning will be no definitely not I, th- I think we're probably a good five, 10 years out from totally figuring out how to do all of this uh, through digital means. Yeah. So can I give you an example that actually does come from about technology? It comes from history. Sure. Yes, when absolutely. I was, um, when I was in high school, um, I wrote a paper on um, what microwave ovens and whatever we thought microwave ovens would do. Okay. Like microwave ovens were brand new when gotcha. I was in high school. Right? All right. Okay. They used to say stuff like you're going to cook your Thanksgiving dinner in sure. 30 minutes right sure <laughs> nobody understood that what we would do is we would add a microwave oven mm. we would not have a microwave oven. a microwave oven would not 
replace a barbecue, sure. right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nobody who wants barbecue ribs wants them microwaved, <laughs> Absolutely. right? <laughs> but I don't know anybody who doesn't have a microwave oven. So what happens right. with technology mm -hmm. is you try it out and you figure out finally what it actually does. And what you end up with is most, most of the simplest apartments I know, somebody's got a small barbecue and a stove and an oven and a small microwave. Mm, right. Mm -hmm. Because you use microwave ovens for some things, not everything. What right. people are afraid of is that we were going to end up just having nothing but TV dinners and nobody would ever cook ever again. <laughs> sure. And, sure. and you can look today and think, oh my gosh, that's absurd in a world where people like are doing cooking shows and learning to cook and baking their own sourdough mm, bread. Right. right? <laughs> so we have no, you're right. We have no idea what it's going to be. We're going to have to learn our way forward and we're going to figure out, Hey, I, I use my microwave every morning to heat my milk, but I would never cook a turkey in it. Sure. Right. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Todd, I think I, if we had all the time in the world, I would just sit here and keep listening to you because the stuff you're saying is blowing my mind. Well, I appreciate the conversation. I usually don't get to talk about technology with people because um, they usually ask me different kinds of questions. But I think this is actually one of the places of uncharted territory today is we're trying mm -hmm. to figure out how to learn. I mean, adaptive leadership is about being willing to learn, facing yep. losses. There's stuff we're going to lose. It's painful but then experimenting our way forward. And I think you guys are living right in the middle of the place where the most amount of experiments are trying to be done. And to take you back to the first question about theology, you know, this, the reality of the spiritual practice of discernment is at the center of adaptive leadership. What are we going to hold on to? What are we going to let go of? What is the wheat and what is the chaff? What is yeah. the wine and what is the wineskin? Right. Um, and we start finding that we're surprised at some of the things that we have to let go. And we're also surprised at some of the opportunities in front of us that gives us new life, new opportunities, new ways of thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Todd, thank you so much for coming on today. Um, before we go, though, I want to make sure you have an opportunity to tell everyone that's listening all the things that you got going on. You know, so I just want to give you an opportunity for some shameless self-promotion. <laughs> well, they, so so here's the easiest way for people to get connected if they're interested in getting some of the research we're doing on adaptive change or getting connected to us. They can it's technology. You can text the word change to six, six, eight, six, six. It's too many sixes in a row for a pastor. But, um, <laughs> yeah. But it's, uh, it sounds like you avoided those triple sixes in there. So yeah. that, that's good. It's, it's a bad news when that's what the number they give you. And you realize, right. oh, thank God there's an eight in the middle of it. So it's right. 66866. You text the word change to 66866 mm. and you get connected to the Church Leadership Institute that I lead. And there's lots of resources on there. And that's where you can find their books and, you know, get connected to me for the different things we do. Awesome. Not going to lie, I may or may not have actually just uh, purchased uh, <laughs> two of your books on Audible during our conversation. <laughs> so, Todd, can we expect a uh, Todd Bolsinger TikTok channel? Is that uh, ooh, something? Ooh. <laughs> you know, I, I got to just tell you right now, I don't even understand TikTok. When I, when I, I, I mean, I just, I, I, somebody showed me something. I'm like, wait a minute, there's a million views of this mother and daughter yeah, dancing. Right? I, I don't even get that. Yep. So, so I, I, this is a place where I'm sitting here talking about technology and I, I'm a good person to talk about because I'm an old person talking about it. <laughs> and, and I'm like, I don't even understand it. Right. Yeah. 
Todd, thank you again so much for joining us today. We kind of went on this technological rabbit trail, so I hope it was helpful for you. Those are the only rabbit trails that we like to go on. This is (laughs) (laughs) To each and every one of you, thank you for listening to the Black Bar Podcast. If you enjoyed the program, be sure to hit that subscribe button and share this conversation with others who may also enjoy what we talked about today. And if you'd like to go more in-depth on today's conversation, you can connect with us on the Black Bar Discord. Whether you're looking for help, desiring to help others in the church creative field, or even if you're interested in joining our volunteer team, visit discord.blk.bar to get connected. We can't wait to see you next week as we uncover more secrets of the church media and marketing world.